The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Okay, so our first approach was to move toward a smaller perspective, really getting into the details. And in this second part, sort of casually speaking, we could call it get big instead of get small. So we'll, uh, we'll make the mind larger. There's a sutta reference that refers to this type of meditation goes like this develop meditation that is like space for just as space is not established anywhere when you develop meditation that is like space arisen agreeable and disagreeable contacts will not invade your mind and remain so that's a little bit technical language but it essentially says if your mind is very large then there isn't so much, you know, each thing within it is smaller, relatively, and doesn't need to upset us so much. So we'll start this meditation actually with our eyes open, and, um, you know, allow your awareness to get as large as the room. Maybe you haven't tried that before. So you can actually look around, if you want, at the walls and the ceiling and the floor. And then just, instead of having those be things where you're here looking at that, just let your mind kind of naturally uh, encompass those things. Uh, Maybe in your peripheral vision, you're just vaguely aware of the walls. Um, And as a reference point, you could, for example, look at me. I'm in the front of the room, and I'm a small part of that awareness. So you can maybe imagine holding your awareness like that and there's this small thing in the middle. So you can see that that's possible to do with the mind. And so now with this awareness that's somewhat large, you can go ahead and close your eyes, bring your attention, you know, allow the visual part to fall away because you've closed your eyes. But imagine that your mind is still as large as the room. That means that your mind is extended out into the space that's beyond your body. But that's fine. The mind is not confined to the body. And again, relax. Just as you had the image of looking at me still there while you had this peripheral awareness of the walls, you can still feel your body and encourage it to relax while your mind is somewhat enlarged. So allow yourself to soften again, softening the head and the neck and the shoulders. And if you find that makes your attention small, it's no problem. You can just sort of alternate. So imagine your mind the size of the room, 
Then focus on the shoulders and soften them. Then the mind is wide as the room, then soften the belly. Relaxing any bracing in the legs or the arms. If you feel the breath in throughout the body, you may imagine that you're breathing in and out of your whole skin. encouragement is for the tension, any tension that you feel in your body. You know, there's natural tension through the in-breath, for example. But just to let that be a small part of the, the wide awareness. You can even let, if it is willing, you can let tension release into a broader awareness. So we invite expansion into the space around us. It takes a little bit of trust, so we don't force anything. It's an invitation This room doesn't seem large enough. You can make your meditation as large as the city or the state. Or the solar system. Rest. So just as there's a whole world going inward, when we did the get small, there's a whole world going outward. And most of it is empty space. So we just allow the mind to be large, open, we're still there in the middle, but we're small 
things arise and pass in this larger awareness. We can notice them coming and going. A tight spot or a stuck spot may draw the attention down. We can feel it getting smaller. You don't need to fight against that. But when we can, we make it large and invite, invite the smaller tight spot that's pulling us in. Invite that to join the larger awareness if it would like. Through relaxation into it. One image that is sometimes useful in this kind of meditation is to imagine a large tank of liquid and then there's a smaller compartment within that held behind a sliding door, also with liquid in it. And the liquid in the little compartment is colored. It's dyed in some way whereas the larger liquid is clear. And making the awareness large opens that sliding door and there's kind of a release of the 
slowly of this colored liquid into the wider space. It's important to know that this can be very easeful and and relaxing, even blissful, to have that opening feeling, or there can actually be some pain with that, like for example, when a limb wakes up from frostbite, there can be that feeling as the spreading of energy spreads outward. It's all okay, because when the mind is very large, then these, these feelings, these localized feelings, can just be part of a much bigger picture But there's no pulling or pushing, just resting and allowing things to come and go and expand if they want.
checking in briefly with the body, relax. Sometimes we unconsciously strain a little bit to try to make the mind large, but it's really a relaxing into that. So if any tension has crept into the body, just softening that. So that's different, right? Um, Maybe part of what we're developing today also is some flexibility in our ability to approach different kinds of meditation. And by the way, if any one of these ones um, today out of the four that we do seems like it's not working, you can do whatever you usually do during that sit. It's okay. Um, I called it get big. Get big as opposed to get small. Um, It has some um, uh, references in the suttas to developing meditation that is like that is like space, for example. And then, when the meditation is uh, very large and spacious like that, basically, then things that arise that are agreeable or disagreeable is what the sutta says. um, Don't tend to stick as much, you know, because the the mind is larger. Yes. So with the, the ideas of big and small. Like oh, s- there's a microphone coming. The first thing that comes to me, kind of naturally, is is a visual approach, a representation of the size of that space. I'm wondering what role does what role should visualization play in these practices? Um. I am a somewhat image-oriented person myself, and it doesn't happen for everyone that there's a visual. 
I wouldn't, um, usually in our tradition we don't focus on visual images as the objects of meditation, but if they arise um, while you're practicing, I find that they can actually be very helpful. I mean, if you read the suttas, they're full of images. There are thousands of images in the suttas, and they're not accidental. They're images uh, I've found in my practice that sometimes come up, and I say, oh, I know why the sutta wrote it that way, because that's actually what it feels like. So they can be um, they can be helpful, but we also don't want to get stuck on them because no image is final. I guess that's what I would caution. No image is final. So if you think, oh, this is the one where my body feels like a tree, and you just sort of go to that image, you're limiting yourself at some point. So it's useful when when it arises fresh, if it's a guidance, and then at some point we have to let it go. So we should play an experiment. You can play with that and make sure that you're not getting stuck on it, but that you're using it. And it, it can be inspiring or it can be onward leading to have these images come. Yeah. So I want to say about that bigger one, I said it a little bit in the guidance, um, that it can actually, um, as, so the way, the, the method of release here is to kind of um, allow the tension to melt into a larger space that's holding it. And there there can actually be some pain as it does that. It's not only, sometimes it's, it just releases and it's great. Uh, sometimes it doesn't work that way and there's some pain, some feeling like frostbite, coming out of frostbite or stretching or my experience sometimes like the breaking of scar tissue because, you know, something has gotten solidified. So this is fine in this because it's held in this larger perspective. So we don't need to be afraid of something like that happening. So in each of these cases, I'm trying to point out roughly what the release feels like. And in the case of the get small, it was that you just no longer believe in the, you know, you've sort of tunneled through. (laughs) You don't believe in the tightness anymore. In this case, it can kind of uh, unravel into a larger space. But again, we're not... um, we're not trying to produce these effects because that's aversive. That's saying that as it is, is not correct, right? So it's a little bit dicey. My job as a teacher is to point you toward these possibilities, but um, it's hard when we're aiming for those. So these two are um, both very useful tools to be able to zero in on things in a wise and gentle way, caring way, and also to be able to let go into something bigger and realize that this thing that seems so important eh, is not the whole world. You know, there's, there's something larger. So my idea at this point was to have you guys do a little bit of a small group reflection about how um, these first two have been for you. So... Um, if you could get yourself into groups of three with people near you, and we'll do this meditatively. This isn't a huge change or break in, in the way of consciousness that you are right now. So just quietly find some people nearby, and then I'll tell you the instructions. Crucial to have three. So the way we'll do this is that um, each person will have a chance to speak uh, uninterrupted. The other's job is to listen to offer the kindness of your calm, attentive listening to what they're saying. And this person gets a chance to uh, explore a little bit through mindful speech. 
You don't need to feel like you're telling these other people because they need to know it. You're saying these things because you're processing um, the experience. So the question is, what was rich or powerful for you about the get small meditation and also about the get large meditation? And if you only did one of those, they could just talk about the one that you did. Um, so what was rich or powerful? What, you know, what was meaningful for you in each of those approaches? And each person's going to have a couple minutes to speak, and I will ring the bell in between, so you don't need to worry about when to switch. I'll ring the bell. And if somebody finishes early, you don't need to fill the whole space. You can sit in silence if you finished what you need to say and just wait for the bell. So the first person, which could be the person with the shortest hair, um, can go ahead and start. And then we'll have a, a second question that we'll do in a slightly different way. So in this one, you may have several ideas about how to respond to this question. And the idea is just to offer something brief and then the next person can go, you'll go around, the next person can offer something brief and the next person, and it'll probably go around a few times. So you'll get a chance to share multiple things. But it may be that your, your ideas change as you hear what other people say. And so it can also be an evolving um, co-creation between all of you of different responses to this question. And the question is, in what way might the effects of this way of perceiving be useful in daily life? So the get small and the get big may seem like unusual meditative techniques, but could there be an application of either one of them in everyday living? So whoever has the first contribution can go, and then you just go around in one or the other direction from there. And if you don't have an idea when your turn comes, you just pass and wait for the next time. And it'll just go for a few minutes. I'll see how the energy feels. So in what way might the effects of this way or these ways of perceiving be useful in daily life. Yeah, so let's let's come back to the larger group. So that sounded quite rich. Um, I would love to hear anything that you'd like to share in the in the larger group from the collective wisdom of your group. Yeah, if somebody could pass a microphone, because it's um, yeah, it's helpful to to speak into the larger group. Yeah, do you want to? particularly ways that they might be useful. Yeah. Thanks. Um, I actually didn't, I just was thinking about this as we were turning around, that the larger awareness I find tends to bring more joy, and I think in a daily life too, that um, 
you're more likely to note the things around you that do offer joy and beauty. And um, so I think that's one value of it. Uh huh. Great. Yeah, Sylvie. I found the image that you gave of the the tank with the tank inside was very useful for me to have something visualizing because I'm I'm also a visualized visual person and I imagined that there was um, pink water in a small one really dark concentrated pink and so then it expanded to much very subtle light pink but that really was um, right away gave me um, space to um, observe my negative emotion like I was feeling really overwhelmed and that overwhelmed you know I imagined the shade of it uh, getting lighter and lighter and it actually I was surprised to see that it provided some relief. Mm. Um, but I think for me, it's because of the image. Mm-hmm. that uh, Because I, I had heard that big sky, big mind, you know, kind of meditation thing. But that image was very powerful for me. Mm. Thank you. Good. I think our group was interested in the relationship between the two, that they're um, sort of like an expansion and contraction, that they both work very nicely together. You can flow from one to the other mm. um, in the way you're experiencing a, a, a struggle or a wall. And so it's sort of a concert of the two uh, working together is a nice way uh, a nice way to approach the wall. Hmm. Great. I'll say that I found some fruitfulness in the um, having a larger awareness when I'm looking at a computer screen, because we all know that screens are very engrossing. That's the point; they're made to be that way, right? And it just becomes like that's the world. Um, and if every now and then you can see the walls of the room and the screen at the same time, even if it's just now and then, um, it's really helpful. It's like, oh, I'm in a room and there's like a bright screen right in front of me. Very powerful way to see compared to just being, you know, right in the screen. So I recommend that uh, as an exercise now and then. Other comments? I'll say that I also um, have found that you can use these uh, analogies of small and large in the realm of time, not only the realm of space or the realm of our body sensations. So, for example, if if it feels like a particular um, thing that you need to do is too much, um, it's possible to either get very small and say, I don't, you know, if your mind is saying, I can't stand one more second of this oh, but I just did, (laughs) you know, second by second, oh, I just survived that second also, oh, look, it's been another three seconds, you know, you just get really small, and you realize that moment by moment, you're getting through it, 
You know, it defies that the mind is telling you the way it is. I can't get through this. But you just show it moment by moment, actually I am. This is like the get small meditation where, you know, it's actually not that solid. Or alternatively, we sometimes have a sense that an event is of tremendous importance and it's just huge and looming in our mind and how am I going to do that? You can also say, you know what? 20 years from now, this is going to be like one meeting that I had to go to on one morning. And yeah, I mean, there might be big effects or not, but you know, in the context of your whole life, this thing is probably relatively small. And so that's like the get big meditation, but in the realm of time. So if either of these seems like a useful perception, you can bring that in. Remember that the aim of this day is to widen the range of what we can be with in a calm and clear way. And if one of these other ways of perceiving helps us stay present with whatever is actually happening, you know, we're not just losing ourselves in some fantasy of some other realm, um, that's great, that makes it useful. The relevance of a view is whether it's useful or not. And so if we can then gather ourselves together and say, yes, okay, what do I need to do here? Great. Yeah, so these different ways of perceiving that we've been looking at uh, soften our way of seeing the difficulty or the area that's stressful to us, right? There's sort of a softening when we're able to change uh, and have some choice about the different perspectives that we're bringing. So instead of it being the big terrible thing or the stressful thing or the tight spot, um, we're playing with it a little bit and experiencing it in what I would call non-habitual ways. We have a habitual way of being with something. We don't realize it because we think we might think it's just that's how it is. But it's actually a habit to experience it that way. And so... Um, We've looked at two non-habitual ways of seeing things, and they aren't the only two options. So this afternoon we'll continue with two more meditations, and also um, this afternoon we'll have a chance to talk a little bit more explicitly about the wisdom that's being developed. You know, what is it, what teachings in the um, uh, Pali Canon or the Buddhist tradition are being pointed toward, in particular impermanence and impersonality are the two main wisdom teachings that are being developed even though we haven't talked about them so explicitly. So we'll have some time for lunch now and I would suggest if you want to, you can you can talk during lunch if you'd like if you're staying here, um, but I would suggest if you want to, to try experiencing eating in either small mode or big mode. <laughs> so have you ever really gotten into every little moment of mastication that you do on chewing something, it's really interesting. What does your tongue do while you're crunching on that peanut butter sandwich? Um, it can be pretty interesting. Or you can get very large and imagine, you know, wow, you know, there's an entire room full of people. Because food is another thing that's absorbing, you know, right onto the plate. <laughs> you know, that's what we're looking at. So can we see the plate or our Tupperware in front of us and the whole room at the same time. And the activity of eating is something that's happening in the middle of that. These ways of um, perceiving can be interesting in daily life also. Okay, so is it going to be okay for us to come back at 1.15? That's 55 minutes for lunch. Okay, great. 
Let's do that. 